clothing is an interesting thing. As you study cultures, uh, we, we learn how uh, varied clothing can be and has been traditionally in so many different places. I uh, enjoyed reading around the time of the royal wedding some of the expected types of dress, and particularly what caught my eye was uh, how women were expected to wear uh, particular hats with uh, things on top, and um, very interesting indeed. Uh, styles change, don't they, over time? And uh, what's probably most interesting to me is I've continued to grow older seeing uh, what people have told me for a long time, how styles tend to come back and return. And uh, I still remember the uh, uh, when I was uh, back in the 80s, um, I was probably in fourth grade, and I'd finally gotten what I'd wanted for so long, and it was a pair of parachute pants. And if you don't remember what parachute, whew, what parachute pants are, I'm going to turn this off. That's all right. Um, I turned my uh, cordless mic on. Steve's wondering, what in the world happened? <laughs> um, parachute pants were uh, uh, what were popular back with break dancers and things back in the 80s, and they had zippers all over them, and uh, they were made with all sorts of uh, fun things. But uh, moon boots, do you remember moon boots? I never thought that moon boots would come back, but I've seen them uh, in the last uh, five or six years uh, with the UGG brand. I mean, they're basically a modern style of moon boots. Uh, sometimes clothes don't really suit or fit the person or the occasion. Can you imagine firefighters going out to a fire wearing tank tops and flip-flops? Right? There are certain clothing styles that just do not fit the occasion. Or summer's on the horizon and many of us uh, go camping. And Can you imagine setting up a tent wearing uh, an evening gown or a tuxedo? I mean, some things just don't fit. Um, we uh, talked last week about Baptism, And uh, one of the ways that uh, baptism was understood in the early church is uh, that people would come and in many places when they would uh, participate in a baptism, they would uh, symbolically remove their clothes and then put on a, a white robe. And when they took off their, their outer clothing, they would lay them on the ground and they would stomp on them. And it was intended to symbolize and to picture that this old life that they had lived, these old philosophies that had formed and shaped them, the things that in the past up until that moment that had shaped their spirit, that they were now being trampled underfoot because they were choosing something different, because someone different had chosen them. God had come into their life and Jesus had rescued them. And as a picture of that rescuing, these old clothes were being removed and new clothes, this new picture of the, the being clothed in Christ now was being brought on. And uh, that was such a great image for so uh, long in the early church. Um, and it points not so much to the clothing on the outside, and that particular clothes have to be worn at church or anything else. That's not the point. But like other symbols, it was a picture on the outside of what God had done substantially on the inside of the person. And it helps shape that. You know, I, I loved when I was in France, I learned the expression that the clothes do not make the monk you know, a person could dress in a certain type of clothing and pretend to be something that they are not. It's a French way of expressing hypocrisy. And so we know that outer clothing uh, in many ways means nothing. It's what is in the heart and how that is transmitted into the life that we live. In our Bible passage this morning, we are going to be looking at that metaphor, that picture of what it is to take off the old life and to put on 
the new life, what it means to be clothed in the person of Jesus and, and how part of that is, is His work and part of it is us working with Him to allow Him to do the work He wants to do in us. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. We are uh, in one of Paul's uh, great letters, one of the great Christological letters of the New Testament. Uh, the first couple of chapters have some great uh, teaching and understanding, helping us see and know who Jesus is. And in chapter 3, he begins in a very substantial way to talk about uh, how we're to live our lives. If Jesus is now who we have clothed ourselves with, then how are we to live? We're going to look at the first 14 verses, and we're going to move through these pretty quickly this morning. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, <clears throat> Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here... There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Living God, loving God, we thank you for these words. We ask that your spirit now would guide and teach, that you would impress upon our minds and our ears and most importantly, our hearts, what you would have us hear today and leave here affecting and impacting our living. Guide us, we pray. We welcome you. Tenderize our hearts. Carve out our ears so that we can hear and respond as your faithful servants. We pray now, Jesus, in your name and for your sake together. Amen. Amen. Taking off the old self, it's uh, also described as putting to death that which is earthly in you. That which is earthly in you. Habits and patterns and shaping influences, that which is not part of the life that Jesus would have for you and me to live. The Scriptures describe that when a believer accepts Jesus, that a death takes place. And it's interesting that... Um, 
It says, uh, set your hearts on things above in verse 1, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And in verse 3 it says, for you died and your life is now hidden. So it talks about a death and a life, that death and life work together in Christian living. That spiritually... Uh, We are dead, and Jesus comes to bring life to us within. And our uh, desires to live according to my own ideals and thoughts, that is put to death at the cross so that Jesus might be alive and well in you and me. For I have been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul would say elsewhere. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So when we have died with Jesus at the cross, it means that any obligation to live according to sinful patterns has now been broken. It doesn't mean that that sin occasionally won't entangle us or or that we will live perfectly sin-free lives. That's That's not what is taught. But what is taught is that sin no longer has mastery over us, that we now have new opportunities and we have a new life and we have different options in front of us and a new power to live in the way that we need to live. In this passage, uh, beginning in verse uh, 5, it talks about uh, uh, there are two uh, lists of vices. And it, uh, in part, is helping us understand the difference between a virtuous life and a vicious life. A life filled with virtue and a life filled with vice. In the first list of five, it it describes more personal actions. It it deals in verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It is a description of four ideals uh, uh, describing sexual sin, and then the last of covetousness, sexual impurity, in, uh, immorality, and passion, evil desire, and greed, or some of your versions might say covetousness. One who does such things, what Paul is trying to communicate to us is that one who practices in an ongoing way such activities in life is one who is so focused on himself or herself more than the needs and desires of another. For Paul, throughout the Scripture, sexual sin is something that ends up harming the individual, himself or herself. It ruins relationships. It represents a lack of self-control. And these are all characterizations of the old self. When Christ comes into a life, we now have a new life to live. And it's not about just being moral. It's about knowing the presence and the power of Jesus in you so that you can live the life that Jesus calls you to live. So we are to take away, to put to death, to take off and set aside and trample underfoot these practices that represent the old life so that we can live in the newness of Christ. There's a second set, beginning in verse 8, of vices. He says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. He says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self. Again, these 
are in similar ways, but they are different in the sense that they are not uh, uh, actions as much as uh, what undermines relationships. Back in the 1200s, if any of you have been to to England, and one of the more famous uh, uh, geological uh, parts of England are the cliffs of Dover. And right there at Dover, it's historically been one of the most... um, uh, It's been one of the more uh, critically um, important uh, spaces in England throughout its history because it's the shortest space from launching an invasion from the European continent over to the British Isles. It's the shortest sailing point. And so a castle was built there, Dover Castle. And in the 1200s, King Louis of France was coming to invade so that he might become crowned king of England as well. And part of their strategy as they lay siege to the castle of Dover, part of their strategy was to dig under and through the chalky cliffs to get under the castle. And uh, in, in order to uh, undermine, that's literally they had people called underminers. The practice was called undermining. It was to get under so that the weight uh, of the, the castle itself would collapse in on itself. And uh, the forces there at Dover were able to repel that, that fight. But the idea of undermining is that which, which digs under and, and, and loosens up that, the foundation upon which something is built. And in such things as anger and wrath and malice and slander and uh, filthy talk are things that undermine our, our ability to relate to each other and our ability to engage one another in love. And we're going to talk about love in a moment. These are attitudes and actions that undercut relationships in a church. And a healthy church fellowship is not characterized by these. So what is What is the characteristic, or some of them at least, for a healthy Christian life and a healthy church life? We're not going to get to it today, but uh, in the verses that follow these that we're focused on this morning, it talks about a healthy Christian community and why that is important and how together we bring strength to one another in community. But in verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... So we've looked, let's pause, we've looked at what we are to take off and to put to death. Now we are are looking at what what are the right clothes to wear? How does a Christian now live his or her life in the world around them every day? When nobody's looking, when everybody's looking, how is your life to be lived? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness humility, gentleness, and patience. And he goes on. He says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love binds them all together in perfect unity. Here's the caution for a Christian life as you read your Bible and ask, what, what is God's will for me? Is, is that we can take a list like this and we can just kind of go down and, and ask ourselves, am I living kind? Well, I think so. And am I compassionate? Yeah, I think so. And I'm being, being patient? Yeah, I guess. And, and, and we can sort of apply that. And, and if, if that's all we're focused on doing, then, then really we're, we're not much different than than just simple moralists. We're not really living a Christian life and seeking the presence of God to transform me from the inside out. That becomes more about behavior 
modification than it is about heart transformation. And Jesus' goal for you and for me is to to change and transform, to, to change the shape of a heart so that these things become more natural for us. They become like second nature to us. And love is the key that binds them together. Now, love is a word we hear a lot. It's thrown around a lot. It's expressed in a lot of different uh, places. But so often, it's, it's a worldly understanding of love. And it's not love always in the way that Jesus gave us love, taught us about love, and showed us shows us what love is. Love is what binds the things together. If you enjoy working in the kitchen, you know that one of the great binding agents in cooking are eggs, right? You can put eggs in things and it helps hold things together. If you're in construction, you know when you're laying brick, you know one of the great binding agents is the mortar you put between the bricks. It holds them together and you can stack hundreds of bricks if you have good mortar and it can go really tall. I uh, once, uh, not once, but twice in my right knee, I uh, tore ligaments that had to be repaired. And the ligaments, we know, hold joints together. And when those ligaments get undermined and torn, it causes all sorts of problems. It binds your joints together. Think about your clothing today. Why don't you reach and touch a button or a zipper? Or reach down and touch your shoelaces, things that are holding your clothes together. And imagine if you stood up right now and unzipped your zipper or unbuttoned your button or unlaced your shoes. What would happen? The zipper and the buttons and the shoelaces, they help bind your clothes together around your body. And so often it goes unappreciated, it goes unnoticed perhaps, or un, uh, undervalued. But that's kind of the way love is. We, we talk a lot about love. But if we don't set love in the person of Jesus, and, and if we don't receive the love of Jesus, and then take that love and share it with people in our church and outside the church, then we're not allowing the virtuous life to be bound together in the most critical aspect of what God has for you and for me, and that is to live in His love. The most indispensable quality that defines Christian life, the most irreplaceable element of our Christian community is love. Jesus said in John 13, a new command I give to you, to love one another in the way that I have loved you. Wow. Well, ponder on that for a moment. We are to love one another in the same way that Jesus has loved us. The Bible talks about speaking truth in love. It talks about uh, not uh, loving uh, in word only, but in action and in truth. It describes, the Bible does, how people will recognize that Christians are Christians in the way that they love one another. And of course, in uh, one of the great wedding passages, but you know, these words were not spoken and written first for wedding ceremonies. They're written for the church so that the church would know what it is to be the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul says these words, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is why the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3 says we can, we can list out all the virtues we want, but if they're not held together in the love of Christ in your heart and in our community, then it's meaningless and it'll all unravel. And so our goal in our Christian living is to learn to reflect the love and to live in the love of Jesus toward Him and toward each other. So the question for us this morning is, how are you doing loving one another? If we remove love from a Christian community, we are wearing the wrong clothes. Would you reach out and grab your hymnal this morning and open up to the front flap? Just open it up right here to the very front flap. Our church covenant. And we're going to read down together just to the very first bullet. Let's read together. Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another that we will walk together in Christian love. Stop. That's as far as we're going today, to walk together in Christian love. We do that by recognizing that in Christ we have died to ourselves and that we are to take off and to put to death those things that, that God that undermines our faith, that undermines our relationships with each other, we're to put those down and set them aside and trample them underfoot. And we are to be dressed and clothed in the wonder and the love of Jesus because it is the love of Christ that must fill your heart and it must flow out of your life because it binds all of the other aspects of godliness together in your heart. And it's the linchpin. If, if you remove the love of Jesus, everything else falls apart. And we become nothing more than just a social gathering if the love of Christ, not just love in general, not just love in the way the world describes it, but the love of Jesus, if it is not evident and present, then everything unravels the love of Christ, that we will covenant together. We commit ourselves to walk together in Christian love. I pray it is so for you and for me. Father, we ask you now that you would help us live this reality, that you would guide us in walking together, in sharing our lives together in Christian love. And God, we, we confess that there are times when the idea of love gets confused and muddled with the ideals of the world. And we get confused and we get sidetracked and, um, God, we don't always treat each other the way that, that perhaps we should or even want to. 
So help us to be quick to confess and quick to offer forgiveness and to be slow to anger, but abounding in love. Help us to reflect You more and more. You have said that Your community is to live and abide in this new commandment that You give, that we are to love one another in the same way that You have loved us. And boy, that's such a simple phrase to say, but it's a challenging task to live. But we thank You that we don't live and and attempt to do it in our own strength or our own wisdom, but we do it because You are evident and present in us, in each of our hearts, but more importantly, within our community. You, You reside here. We've heard it sung today that the presence of the Lord is here in this place. So we ask that You would bind these virtues in our individual lives together with Your love. And in the way that we relate to each other, help us to love one another so that we too might be committed through Christ-like love. Committed to each other. And committed to the life that You've called us to. Help us now, we ask Jesus. In Your name and for Your sake, we pray together. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing our closing song together. If uh, you would like to come and make this a place of prayer this morning, you are welcome to do that. If uh, you've been wondering about church membership and want to begin uh, to have a conversation about what that is, we would welcome you to uh, to come forward during the song and we can begin a conversation. Uh, if there's any decision this morning that you need to make before the Lord, And before this fellowship, this is a good opportunity for you to do that. Let's stand together and let's sing.